Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 37th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at Rebecca at Home Bodies Yoga. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Home Bodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I don't have a guest. There's no interview. It's just going to be me talking. It's been a while, almost more than two months, and there's a lot to catch up on. But before I get started talking, I need to give some trigger warnings for miscarriage and fetal demise. And just a sort of blanket trigger warning for hearing someone really talk about their grief. And kind of adjacent to that, but maybe a little different, I know that a lot of people who listen to the show are people that are my good friends and my family. And I know it can be really hard to hear someone you love talk about being in pain. And that's not something you have to do to support me. If you want to support the podcast, as I've probably told you, if you're someone I know and love, you can just like and subscribe it. Um, If you are a person who is just not ready to hear about any of this today, please turn this off. There are so many, uh, so many, all of the episodes of Homebodies have lighter content than what I'll be covering today. So... Please don't feel obligated in any way to listen to this episode. So why bother making a podcast episode that I'm actively encouraging people not to listen to? Something that people have been saying to me lately is, I can't even imagine what you're going through. And I understand why they say that, but it just feels really lonely And the people that I've found the most comfort with, the people that I'm seeking out, the people that I'm Googling to find at 3 a.m. are the people that can imagine. So I guess I just wanted to put this episode out for anybody looking for that kind of comfort. Okay, here goes. Last chance to turn this off. From the moment I found out I was pregnant, from the moment I saw the positive pregnancy test, I knew it was twins. I had this really strong intuition. And then physically, I just knew it was twins because my body felt different. It felt like double the pregnancy. I don't know how else to explain it. But every time they would look inside my belly with the sonogram machine at my doctor's office, they only saw one. That you know, initial time they look, they only saw one little heartbeat. And then they checked again, I think I was like 10 or 11 weeks, and they only saw one in there. And, you know, it was like such a mindfuck, because I'd be so sure, you know, okay, this is the time they're going to see two, and it would just be one. But then as I started to show, it became even more obvious to me that it was twins, because usually in the beginning, your bump is really low, like just above your hip points, because that's where the baby grows. But my bump, even though it was shallow, went all the way from my hip points to like the bottom of my ribs. And I remember just saying to Evan, like pointing to like the top of my belly, being like, if it's not twins, like, what is this? Like this, this can't be the same baby. And 
I could just picture them in there, kind of one on top of the other. Um, and then at my 17-week ultrasound, they couldn't, my doctor couldn't find a heartbeat at all. So they rushed me to the hospital, like knowing it was probably going to be really bad news. And they had a much stronger ultrasound machine, or I don't know, sonogram machine at the hospital. And the tech couldn't say anything to me, but I could see her taking pictures and I could see that the screen said baby A and baby B. And that's when it was really confirmed that it was twins. Um, but by then they were already dead. Um, their names were Clara and Odette, and I ended up getting to carry them for 17 weeks. But the thing that my intuition didn't tell me is that I had a very dangerous pregnancy called a Momo pregnancy. And that is where the babies share a gestational sac and a placenta. And there's a lot that can go wrong with that. But what happened with my girls is that their umbilical cords got tangled. And so they didn't have the nutrients they needed to survive. After the results from that ultrasound came back, things moved pretty fast and it was decided that I would, well, I guess I decided that I would be induced and give birth to the babies. Um, but before I could let them do that, I needed to see them, the babies one more time. And I'm so glad I did this. They brought the sonogram machine back in so that I could just see them in there. And they looked just how I pictured them except they weren't like moving around the way babies do in a healthy ultrasound. They were just so still, but they were still really beautiful. And that was on January 25th, or it took a long time for me to go into labor. So honestly, by the time I had the girls, it might've been January 26th, um, but I got to hold them. And then, you know, I came home without twins without my babies and um that's kind of where I've been since or that's not even right um like people keep asking you know of course like how are you feeling and to be honest there's a part of me that feels totally fine like last night I had a really nice dinner with one of my good friends like I'm like planning fun vacations and like you know, looking at recipes I like in Bon Appetit magazine and cooking them and like taking Hudson to the playground. Like there's a part of me that's fine. That's like laughing at jokes and like just like back to my old self. But there's a part of me, a pretty big part of me that is somehow still in my doctor's office when she said like, I'm so sorry, but I can't find a heartbeat. Like there's a part of me that's just forever trapped or I hope not forever but a part of me that's just frozen and stuck there and in this episode I want to talk about that part of me not the part of me that is fine um so I guess how am I I think one of the biggest things I feel right now it's about I don't know, I guess it's more than two and a half months. It's almost three months since it happened. The biggest feeling I feel is shame. I'm just so ashamed that my body couldn't take care of my babies. 
I'm so mad at my body for not being able to do what it needed to keep them safe. And it doesn't matter how many doctors or people tell me it wasn't my fault because you could just never be sure because maybe it's because I did too many drugs in my 20s or maybe it's because I was going for runs when I was pregnant with them or maybe I shouldn't have had coffee like you just don't actually know for sure why like why didn't they each get their own gestational sac like why didn't my body build that for them and I'm ashamed that I didn't enjoy my pregnancy more because that was the only time I had with them but I I was so sick and it was so hard because I was just sick all the time and so tired and I was so upset at how much weight I was gaining and I just was so worried that my bump was too big and I just wish I hadn't been so ashamed at how hungry I was because I was just my body was just trying to take care of two little babies and I wish instead of those like rare moments when I wasn't feeling sick I wish instead of hating myself for like gaining weight I could have just enjoyed that time with them The other big emotion for me right now is just emptiness. I was having a really hard time, or I do, I just have a hard time using language to describe what happened because the language around it is that you lost them or miscarried your babies, but, or my babies, but to me pregnancy is the opposite of losing something because you always have them with you like how can you say i lost them i knew right where they were i felt them and now they're just gone it's like one minute you're so full i was so full and now i just feel empty my 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 insides feel ripped out Really, I just miss them. And I just wish I could have gotten to know them a little bit better. Another big emotion for me right now is jealousy. I'm jealous of basically anyone else who's pregnant, especially people who seem like they might be due in July. That's when my baby girls were due. Um, And like because of Hudson's age like basically I just see pregnant women all day because you know his friends parents are pregnant at school like at the playground there's so many pregnant moms and I just am just so jealous I'm so jealous they get to experience this like innocent pregnancy I mean I guess I don't even know that for sure but you know even if I was to get pregnant again like I would never have a pregnancy like I did with Hudson that was just so innocent and hopeful like that part of me that could have hope feels like it's dead and I'm so jealous of people who have had healthy twins 
like when I see a set of twins, it's like almost wistful, but it's also jealous. Um, I mean, the fact that it was twins is just so crazy because we didn't do IVF and I twins don't run in either of our families. Like it just makes it's just such a weird thing that it's twins. And then the type of twins, Momo twins are so rare, even for twins. They're like the rarest type of twin. And then even in a Momo twin pregnancy, there's a 50-50 chance of survival. So it just feels like in every sense, in every odd, I got the wrong end. And I know, of course, I'm like so privileged in other ways, like so privileged that I haven't like had to like go back to work the next day or like... I don't know that I have just have so much support, but it's just in some in in the strictest pregnancy sense, it feels like I got screwed in every single regard. And I'm definitely angry about that. Anger is like another big emotion for me right now. Um, so when we found out the babies had died, there could have been a surgery. It's called a D and E. And a DNA is basically like a DNC abortion, except when the baby, except that it's for when the babies are bigger. Um, and that wasn't actually even an option for me because I happened to be at a Catholic hospital. And because it's technically an abortion, even though, as I've said, my babies were already gone, I would have had to go to a different hospital. And because it would be considered a late-term abortion, and it's very clear to me being with our medical system as intimately as I have been, even though I have a wonderful OB, the system itself is completely misogynistic. Like, this country hates women, um, and maybe other countries too. I can just say for sure this country does. Because if I had wanted to get that, D and E, I would have had to be on a waiting list and I would have had to call all these different hospitals to see if I could get on. And actually Evan asked the doctor to call and she came back and said, "It this doesn't seem right, but it seems like it'll take about a month, which means I would have had to walk around with a pregnant belly for a month, a pregnant belly holding my girls who had already died. Um, so even though I had an option quote unquote I really didn't and honestly I think I would have chosen to give birth anyway I'm just like a very physical person and I feel like it was healing for me I mean very traumatic but healing but I think the fact that I didn't even have the choice really to have a DNE makes me so furious mostly because of how privileged I am I'm this educated white lady with good health insurance um, who had a very supportive husband who was there, who basically have every privilege you could have. And even I couldn't have options. And it just makes me think about all of the women who don't have those options, who don't live in liberal enclaves, who don't have money, who aren't white, and just the way that they're treated and what their choices are. And it makes me really furious that at any I mean, the least you can do when somebody is having the most horrible experience of their life is give them the options you can. 
And this one sounds petty, but there was a resident on duty the night I was giving birth. And, you know, I gave birth to Hudson without any medication. Like, I just did an all-natural birth. Like, I don't, whatever, I don't think I deserve a medal, but it's just a fact. Like, I gave birth without any medication. But obviously, when you're giving birth to uh, babies that aren't living, medication is needed for emotionally as much as physically because the feeling of going into labor was very emotionally triggering and traumatic for me obviously so anyway they had me on Dilaudid and I it was starting to wear off and it was had been three hours instead of four and the resident wouldn't give me more Dilaudid and she just kept saying like well we all have different thresholds of pain and like basically saying that I should be uncomfortable and it seriously felt like internalized misogyny. Like as much as I think it, you know, whatever she was telling herself it has to do with like not getting me addicted to painkillers. It felt to me like Adam and Eve level shit of her thinking I should be in pain or that women should bear some pain. I don't know what it was, but I will, I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive her. Not that she's asked. It's just like they have you take a pee test the minute you go to the hospital and they check you for drugs. Like clearly I wasn't a drug addict. And for you to like keep any source of comfort away from me during that time, it just, it just feels evil. And I can't believe like that she's going to be a doctor that just is in charge of people's wellness. Um, it's really sad and angering to me, clearly. But at the time, I was just like so polite and nice to this resident doctor, even though she was torturing me. And that's been a feeling that keeps coming up, this feeling of like wanting to be the like best put together mother whose babies have died or like the most polite patient of the doctor or like the the quietest crier the the person the strongest person who has it together after her entire world falls apart like I just have this like need to like I don't know be okay for everyone else I guess and not make anybody uncomfortable is a big urge I have and I'm not really sure why that is I mean who knows? Um, and then it just always keeps coming back to shame because I think about, like, if the pregnancy had progressed, I would have had to go in the hospital at 30 weeks because they would have needed to constantly monitor the babies because it's such a dangerous pregnancy. And I just think about, like, how hard it would have been to be away from Hudson and just it would have been hard to live in the hospital and how scary it would have been to have such a dangerous pregnancy and then if they were the babies were born alive there would have been time in NICU definitely and it could have been really scary for their own health and i know like Evan and i could have done it i know we could have done it i guess i'm just ashamed 
yeah i guess i'm i i'm ashamed to even say it but like i almost have a small amount of relief because it would have been so hard like i know i could have done it and i would have loved them and i do love them but i just yeah i'm just ashamed that there's a little bit of yeah um the other feeling I feel, which I'm like almost ashamed about, but I think it's natural, is like this um, feeling of like very, I don't know, like obviously Evan and I were a family before and, um, you know, having Hudson made us even more of a family. But since this happened, I just feel so like, like they're like Hudson and Evan are my people and like I feel so safe and um, I wouldn't say I'm like clingy to Evan, but I just feel like unsettled when he's not around. And I, I think that's really normal too. Like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of this sense of like everything like tightening up, like our family just like had to tighten up together. I don't know. I'm not doing a good job of explaining it. Um, but I guess also like realizing how much Evan is there for me and is there for me now and like was there for me like when everything happened, even though he was mourning too, just the way he took care of me. Um, it like really, I don't know, like so- sewed us together even more. Yeah, so it's like, kind of a roller coaster all the time of emotions um i wanted to talk a little bit about what i'm doing to i wanted to say to heal but i think mostly it's like to survive and to like get through days um and you know sometimes i have good days like i don't want this to sound like like i'm talking about the bad stuff now but like you know, and then of course there's like guilt when you have a good day or like when I like forget for a second, I don't think I ever really forget, but when I think of, you know, I don't think of the girls and I'm like laughing or, or having fun doing something. Like I definitely have guilt as though like they would mind. Like, I don't think they would. Like, I think they were kind, good people. (laughs) Like, I don't, I think they would want their mom to laugh, but there is some guilt there. Um, anyway, let me get back to what I was saying. I was saying I wanted to talk a little bit about the things I've been doing to feel better. Um, but before I do, I just want to say like I'm speaking from a place of immense privilege in that I don't have to work if I don't want to. And I have a lot of help with my three-year-old and my husband as i said is very supportive and i have money if to spend on things if i need them to make me feel better so if you're listening and you're also working on healing and you don't have that kind of privilege like don't feel obligated to do i mean no one should feel obligated to do anything i'm saying these are just things that have helped me um 
I've gotten very into having a morning ritual. I wake up really early because I basically need like an hour and a half to do it. And I used to think when people had like a long morning ritual, it was discipline. But for me, it really does feel like survival. And honestly, I look forward to it. I feel like it's like how you learn to like the taste of kale as you learn that it's good for your body. That's how this morning practice feels to me. Uh, The first thing I do is lay in bed for 10 minutes. And I just try to really feel the bed underneath me and feel each part of my body be supported. Um, Because I think a big symptom I've been having is like a real sense of being ungrounded and empty. And that really helps with that. So I do that for 10 minutes. Then um, I light a candle and I go downstairs and get some water, like a big cup of water. It's like kind of like touching on all the elements because I drink a little water, I have like fire, and then I do a, a seated breathing practice, either Nadi Shoda, Nadi, Nadi Shodna or Kapalabhati, and that's usually about like five minutes. And then I have this amethyst, and I'm not even sure why I do this, it just happened one day and I notice it makes me feel better, so I take this amethyst and I put it in all the different parts of my chakras, so like top of my head, forehead, lips, heart, stomach, uh, hips, um, oh, belly, hips, and then legs, and just kind of like try to feel each of those energy sources and kind of like breathe into each area as I hold the amethyst. And then after that, and this is probably the biggest thing I've been doing every, like religiously is tarot cards. And I don't really know why. I think right after it happened, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything where my mind was still. So I could not only could I not meditate, I couldn't even sit in quiet. I couldn't even handle the silence while I brushed my teeth. So I constantly had AirPods in and I was always listening to like books on tape or dumb podcasts or anything to keep my mind um, busy. And I think actually that was survival. Like I like if you're if you're just going through this like and that's what you need i i think it's survival like i wouldn't i didn't feel bad about it and i wouldn't if i were you because it felt like if i didn't do that i was literally going to break down and like as much as i think it's okay to break down i just you can't break down every minute because you know i have a 3 year old or like you just i just couldn't always think about it and I couldn't always be broken so the way I handled it was with these airpods constantly and I still listen to things like a lot of the time but anyway I think because I couldn't meditate but it felt like I wanted to spend time with myself I took out my tarot cards because it's sort of like a way to intellectualize your inner world because it sees like other pictures and I have really I really like the tarot cards because I get shitty tarot cards when I'm going through hard things and like it felt affirming like yeah things shit sucks right now actually like that is one of the best things my friend Regina said to me I called her from the hospital because and sorry if you're listening Regina but like for some reason Regina is just the person you call when like shit everything everything goes to shit like she's like the person in the muck with you um, or with me. So I called her and the thing she said that like stuck with me the most is she's like, this is the worst day. 
and like you know like I said like that day is still going on so it wasn't saying like this is the worst day like you'll feel better tomorrow it was just like a fact like this is the worst and I don't know there was something about it that felt really comforting um it's something I say to myself still the other thing I say to myself when I'm feeling guilty about like having fun or doing anything I don't know light and I don't know like getting a facial or whatever is like you have the rest of your life to feel sad like if you don't feel sad right now it's okay because like it's not like it's ever gonna stop being sad uh anyway so uh, that's what I really like about the tarot cards and I just so I've been doing them like literally I do tarot cards every single day and it's been really helpful for me um and then after the tarot cards, I drink a little coffee and I do the wordle, which also sounds like stupid, I think, or does sound stupid to just say out loud to me. But it there's something about that, that distraction of my mind that like puts my head in the right space for the day. Um, yeah, another thing that really helped, and this definitely is a huge privilege, but like getting out of town right after it happened, I, pro- I went to see my friend. Olivia in Miami um her parents have a house there which is like of course privilege like great privilege that I happen to have a friend with parents with a house and she was free um and we met there and I think but anyway I just think like if if it's something if this just happened to you like getting out the fuck out of your house and like going away is a really good idea like it was like snowing here and horrible and it was just so nice to be like somewhere else to to like have space from where it happened and like just somewhere else to mourn like I I don't know I guess I I've never mourned like this so I didn't know like that going away could be so helpful um yeah that was definitely a big part of like starting to heal I also go on crying walks a lot because like I said like if my brain isn't distracted I break down um so like if I listen to music while I walk I start crying always but actually that's kind of good. Like it feels like a nice way to get it out. Um, yeah. So yeah, tarot cards, crying, walking, laying in bed and feeling my body. Like those are the, the things that have been really helping. Um, I'm also in therapy, which is I insanely helpful. Like really has been like definitely one of the main like healing things although I couldn't I don't know because it's so hard to get therapy right now it did take me like two months to even get a therapist so I've only met her like three times but I think just having someone's whose job it is to talk to you about your feelings is so liberating because it's really hard to talk to people about this kind of thing because it's a real fucking bummer dude (laughs) like it really is um so it's just felt good to to that it's like her job to be strong and like it's her job to listen and like I can say whatever I need to say um yeah so definitely therapy oh the other thing this is kind of random but I would say it's like helped immensely it probably has helped like 40 percent of my healing has been this because I think or I, I know one of my big reactions to traumatic events is not depression, it's anxiety. So my anxiety has been 
pretty bad and it was really bad right after it happened and so I just like tried to take some time to notice what makes me anxious and something that makes me really anxious is like clutter and mess and I have a three-year-old who loves clutter and mess like I would say he thrives in clutter and mess if you have a three-year-old you probably can relate um so one day I just went to the container store and I bought all of these different vessels for containing and organizing his toys that make cleanup really easy and that look really tidy like they look make our living room look really clean and organized very quickly and I that has helped me so much because I'm not proud of this like this is back to the shame but like my reaction to anxiety is sometimes anger and because Hudson is the one who makes the mess because he's a baby he's a three-year-old so that's his job um I was like being very short with him and yelling at him when I didn't want to but this like way of containing it has really taken that away because that like source of anxiety is literally contained and actually Ed and I were joking because the a motto of the container store is contain yourself and it just seems like actually kind of dark <laughs> like contain yourself like I don't know but it did it did feel like that after I like organized all his toys it felt like a sigh of relief in my I could like feel more comfortable in our house and less anxious um, so the main thing I would say I don't know if I can really give advice I don't think I have advice but the main thing I've learned is that you're not really sure what it is, or I'm not really sure what it is that'll help me get through the day. So trying things is okay. Trying things that seem weird, like holding an amethyst to your forehead or organized, spending hours organizing your kids' toys or all the weird things that I'm into right now. I, you know, some of them I was even sort of like embarrassed to share, but I think I guess the, my reason for sharing them wasn't so much that those specific things might be what help you, but that maybe if you can be open to the idea of something helping you that maybe is unexpected or seems weird, and if it helps you as much as you can, as much as your time allows or your space allows, commit yourself to doing it. Yeah, I think that's really the only like absolutely healthy thing I've been doing for myself from the beginning is like really allowing myself to be curious about what it is that makes me feel better. And yeah, and of course it's a whole thing because every time you feel better, you feel bad. And then when you feel bad, you say to yourself, I have the rest of my life to feel sad. It's okay to feel bad now. And it goes on and on, of course. Um, I'm not really sure how to transition out of this conversation. Um, I have this urge to like tell some jokes because I want to end on a good note, but I don't think things always end on a good note. So I'm going to leave it there and also share that the next episode and the following episodes of this podcast will not discuss this specifically. I might talk, I might allude to my healing journey, etc. but um, I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to talk about this every week. So things are going to go back to normal next week. I'll have an interview and 
uh, we'll chat and we'll talk about yoga and it'll be again back to that much lighter content um yeah so um i like feel like i want to apologize i don't know (laughs) it's so weird um i guess happy practicing and uh talk next week uh, you can always email me at Rebecca at Homebodies Yoga Podcast. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Homebodies Yoga Podcast. And as always, you can rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. All right. Bye.